Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Becoming by 90% Hoops. Today, we have a very special guest. This is Coach Kobe Beckner. He's going to be on the podcast today to share his journey of becoming a coach and share some of his wisdom and experiences that he's learned along the way. So to get things started, I um, just want to ask you about the first time that you thought that some that coaching would be something you would be interested in? Well, I'll tell you, uh, I would say it started maybe without me actually realizing it when I was probably a sophomore in high school. And the high school coach I had at the time who was leaving to go coach at a junior college, uh, I just had told him that I wanted to play in college. I, I come out of a small school in Northeast New Mexico. And he told me, I don't think there's any way because you're too short and you're too slow. And so I just started a journey of like writing out workouts on a three by five card uh, on the night before that I would get up the next morning and then I would do my workout that I would write down the night before, which was just things that I had come up with that I felt like was going to help me become more athletic, a lot of jumping rope and just things like that. And so just the fact that I saw myself improve by intention, my own self-initiated intention, uh, I think it probably kind of triggered the fact that this is really what I'm passionate about, uh, trying to help people get better because I kind of was proof that with work and focus, uh, you can get better. And so from there, my journey just took off. Kind yeah, of took no, that's off awesome. That. Uh, what coach would you say has had the biggest influence on who you are as a coach right now? Well, I've been fortunate to have several. And uh, I've, I've been fortunate also to play uh, in college and and played on a state championship team in high school. And, uh, but I would have to say overall in terms of, of uh, tactical side of it and the organizational side of it, a guy by the name of Mark Nixon, who, uh, who went on and coached at the University of Texas at Ar uh, Arlington, who also was the same person that told me when I was in high school that I probably wasn't going to be good enough. And then I ended up playing for him for a year at Amarillo Junior College. And then I coached with him up in Nebraska at a junior college. And to this day, uh, he, he's a tremendous mentor and a, and a, and a great friend and a, and a great influence. But I've, I've been fortunate to have some other coaches that I really uh, love and, and were blessed to have all the way back to my fifth grade coach, who was the one who started me on my journey when I was, you know, 10, 11 years old and first time playing organized basketball. So there's been a number of them and all have impacted me in one way or the other uh, in, in some form or fashion in, in a positive way. Yeah, so as I've talked to different coaches, you know, a lot of them mentioned how they were really influenced by coaches that they had at, at a younger age, whether it be like middle school or, you know, just starting out in elementary school. So just talk about the influence that you know, a, a young basketball coach can have and, you know, just how, how, uh, how much of a, a significant impact, you know, can they make on someone's life? Because I think a lot of coaches, they don't really understand the type of influence that they have at the time until, 
they kind of look back on it later. So just talk about the influence that a coach can have on, on a young kid's life. Well, I appreciate you asking that question because that's probably the most important question that we need to be able to answer. And as coaches, we have to realize that day to day to day. And, you know, sometimes it can be challenging because we want to win. Uh, and, but the most important thing is what those kids are going to remember. And what I remember is how I was treated and how that coach made me feel regardless of how good a coach he was or how, you know, smart he was with X's and O's. It was a lot about how he made me feel. And, uh, that's generally will trigger a love for the game, but more of an interest in, uh, trying to get better and, and more of a positive environment. So, you know, like I said, I can go back to my fifth grade coach who just did it voluntarily, like a lot of them do at that level. And there was never anything that I can recall that was uh, overly harsh, negative, detrimental, sarcastic. Uh, it was just, it was just, you know, getting us to the gym, getting us, you know, initiated to the game. And, you know, it's interesting because about, Four or five years ago, I just started thinking about uh, my fifth grade coach and my sixth grade coach. And I just sat down and I wrote a, uh, a thank you card. And I ran into both of them since, and it had a huge impact on them. And so I think it's important that the word impact has got to be somewhere as a high priority uh, whenever you're, you're coaching and as you reflect back as a player, a young player, those are things that subtle little things that happen to you that can really trigger uh, a complete uh, lifestyle, you know? And so I, I just think it's, it's paramount that coaches, young coaches, high school coaches, ju uh, junior high coaches, uh, even younger, really take that to heart and uh, understand the importance of impact and, and uh, treating kids, making kids feel good about getting better. And, and at the mm -hmm. same time, challenging them, you know, you got to challenge them. You got to be, tell them the truth. And I tell my kids all the time, you know, uh, you want to be a good person, but you got to kind of have a little bit of an edge. Yeah. You know, you gotta, you gotta roll with an edge and you gotta be a good person and you gotta be able to balance those two. So, yeah. So my next question is, you know, how do you create that edge? You know, like you said, you want to make sure that they have a great experience and become not only good players, but good people. But, you know, yeah. you want them to have that edge. So how do you go about creating that edge in your players? Man, I wish I had the answer to that because it's it's not it varies. It varies from kid to kid. I mean, it really does. I mean, like right now on our team, we're playing in a fall league. We went and played in Amarillo. It's about a two-hour drive last night. And uh, I've got a kid that, that just moved here. Great, great kid. Uh, can tell I'm going to love him to death. But he just doesn't have an edge. He Right now, he just he doesn't have much of an edge. And uh, so it's a process. I mean, that's I'm, I'm trying to figure out right now how are we going to get this kid where he's got a little bit more of an edge, a competitive spirit. So we're constantly trying to emphasize the importance of having a competitive spirit, which, you know, we can't just go around trying to please everybody. We got to try to do what we got to do because we owe it to our teammates to be better. And in order for that to happen, 
and for you to contribute as a as a, as a team member, and that could be with basketball or that could be in 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 a, in a business, uh, whatever that may be. You know, really, you got to play for your teammates, and that's got to be a high priority. And in order for you to perform at a high level, to be a contributor for your teammates, I just believe you got to have a competitive spirit. And so there's a constant, you know, how we set up practice, how we communicate to the kids has a lot to do about having a competitive spirit, having an edge, and at the same time, helping a kid up, uh, being a good sport. Uh, again, just coming, I mean, really being a great teammate and being tough probably are the two things that we emphasize the most in our whole program. And I think, you know, probably universally, those are two things that we all are after, you know, be, have your players be great teammates and, and have them be tough, you know, where they're not afraid to take a charge or, you know, they're going to go get a big rebound or whatever that may be. So uh, a lot of it is just, you know, your culture, your, your language, your environment, and uh, all of those things play into trying to create that, uh, you know, I don't know if it's a dichotomy, but a little bit of that competitive spirit, having an edge, and at the same time being a really good person. So I just want you to talk about, you know, what it looks like when your team is playing with confidence. Like, what does that look like in terms of, you know, on the court? It's a beautiful thing. Uh, and it, it takes a lot of game reps, a lot of game reps, you know, which means that, on a Tuesday in April, you're going to have to be doing game reps. You know, that's where you're going to gain the confidence. But what it looks like, it looks like uh, lots of communication. It's, it's a, there's a lot of vocal stuff going on. There's a lot of talking. Uh, there's a lot of cutting. There's a lot of movement. There's a lot of understanding space and uh being unselfish and finding the hot hand. Uh, but I would say at the core of it all would, would be uh, communication, you know, a lot of open communication. And whenever I see that and hear that and feel that, uh, I kind of know we're probably on the right track in terms of the majority of our kids uh, playing with confidence. That's a good yeah. question. I uh, appreciate that. Well, yeah, I agree. And I think communication is, is a big part of that. And you know, I, I think you can never over communicate. Like there's something you need to say, just go ahead and say it, even if it may be a little bit uncomfortable in the moment, but in the long term, it's going to be beneficial for everybody. So, um, you know, I want to talk about uh, one of your accomplishments that took place a little bit over a year ago. Um, so you guys were the, the state title winners in 2021 and uh you know i just want to talk talk about um you know kind of your expectations going into that season are you talking to your team about you know we got to win the championship or are you just you know trying to get them to focus on one day at a time how much are you talking about winning the championship throughout the season or was it just something that kind of came up because of your guys's process and dedication to kind of just going one day at a time a little bit of all that. I mean, it really was a little bit. We knew we had a good team. We knew we had good personnel. Uh, I, a lot of people thought we were probably a year away. And there were some really good teams in our, I think, you know, for most of the year. I mean, and you know, in Texas, at the 1A level, 
gosh, it's just about like the NCAA. I mean, there, there's a lot of teams. Uh, we were ranked sixth, seventh, eighth. Uh, but I saw the teams that were ahead of us. I knew that we could play with them. And I would tell our guys every once in a while, why not now? Let's do it now. Let's let's because it's easy to think, well, we can do it next year because we were only going to lose one senior that played a lot. And it's like everything was shaping up for that next year. Uh, and I just kept telling them as we got deeper into the playoffs uh, and we got some momentum. Uh, why not now? Let's let's do it now. There's no reason that we can't don't shortchange ourselves. And so a lot of it was, you know, we won it in twenty fifteen. And then we went through three or four years of kind of just didn't have the players, but it was still connected enough to that time when we had won it in 2015. And they remembered the community and the support and all the energy and everything that goes with it. So that was still, these kids were like in junior high at the time that we won it in 2015. So they were aware and I think that helped motivate them. And they started really believing as as we kept getting deeper and, and, and I mean, we won some really tough playoff games, like single possession down to the last possession games, one point, two point games. And each time we did, you know, we just got a little bit more confident and started believing in ourselves a little bit more. Yeah. So you mentioned you had some really close games there on that run. Um, how do you get your teams to stay calm under pressure? And then I think more importantly, how do you make sure that you're staying calm because if you're if you're calm, then your team's gonna you know feel that sense of calmness. So, um, you know, how do you stay calm, and then how do you get your team to stay calm in those pressure moments? Well, you know, a lot of it is uh, for one, you got to have a little bit of luck, and you got to have good people with you on on your staff, and and you got to, you know, these are things that I think is the longer you coach, the more the the better you get at some of those things about staying calm in the heat of the moment and the importance of it. So some of it, it just was a reminder to myself that as it gets hotter and it gets more intense, I've got to make sure that I maintain my clarity for these kids. If I lose my mind or I get swept up in the moment or I get totally distracted, I'm not doing my job efficiently for these kids. And so, I would just try to keep that as a reminder and uh, and that's hard to do. You know, that's really hard to do because I'm an emotional guy. I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a high energy guy. Uh, I coach with a lot of energy and I'm kind of right on the line. Like I'm on the line of, of, you know, working referees and, and uh, being intense and getting our guys so, but I, 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 you know, really, as we got into some of those tough games, we made free throws when we had to make them. We hit shots when we had to hit them. We executed when we had to hit them and execute. And then last year, you know, it came right down again. We played for the state championship last year. And instead of a couple of shots that went in the year before, they just didn't go in last year. Very similar. Uh, it, it, it just... We just missed the shot that the year before we hit. So some of it's luck, but it, you know, bottom line is you got to put in those, you got to put in the time, you got to put in the game reps, you got to put in those situations that you got to, you got to really emphasize the later you get into the season. And I think all of those things help. 
Yeah, I mean, so so much of basketball can come down to one or two plays here and there. You know, you oh, miss yeah. a free throw, you, you miss a shot, you miss a rebound, you know, and that yep. can be the difference, you know, between a championship and, you know, maybe losing in the first round. So yep. definitely those those small things play a big role. Um, you know, but it's obviously that you guys have built, you know, a very strong culture there. Um, so how do you get your, your players to play with a sense of pride? Well, to be honest with you, it's easy where we're at because they got the whole community, like really, really uh, supporting them. Like the whole, I mean, our town has 509 people. Um, it's a small town. We have 50 kids in our high school. We're one of the wow. smallest 1A schools in the whole state of Texas. And yet we've been able to compete at a really high level. And a lot of that is because we have tremendous community support. We've got great administrators. We have a tremendous school board. We don't have to deal with any drama in the school. We just can focus on our jobs. But these kids feel, uh, they feel the, the culture. They feel the community. You know, last year when we started the playoffs, because of where we're located way up in the northeast corner of the state of Texas, we travel over almost 3,500 miles to and from games in the playoffs, in our seven uh, playoff games. And it was amazing because almost every one of those games, there was like a packed gym from TextLine. So people were spending hard-earned money, maybe money that they didn't have, maybe stuff they had to put on a credit card to come watch us play. And I would remind our kids of that all the time. And I think that helps. I mean, our community gets a lot of their self-esteem from how well our kids play and it's a big part of who TextLine is as a community is our, our basketball program wow no that's incredible um yeah uh, you mentioned 50 50 kids in the school so i would imagine player development is a big part of your program there you know because it's you're probably not getting you know four or five star players there <laughs> um you know, you're not just having talent show up at your doorstep every year. So just talk about, you know, the, the player development philosophies of your program and how you're able to maintain talent year in and year out. Well, we don't have football. And so from August the 15th or whenever school starts, we're going. I mean, during the athletic period, we're hooping and we're shooting a lot. We're working on two ball dribble. We're working on actions we're working on spacing we're working on we're working on the game and that starts when kids are in the sixth grade because sixth seventh and eighth grade is junior high ninth grade through 12th grade is high school and so from august the 15th until may the 28th or whatever the last day of school is pretty much every day during the athletic period we're doing something to to grow the game and to help the kids get better at basketball now we have kids that run cross country we have kids that uh, run track. We have kids that play golf. You know, any other things that they do, they do outside of the athletic period. They do it after school. And, uh, you know, like last year, our cross-country team went to state. Our cross-country team, some of our kids are running this year are going to be pretty good. But during the athletic period, uh, we're working on the game. And so you can take a sixth-grade kid, if he's motivated – and he's eager and he wants to get good. And even though he's not very good as a sixth grader, by the time he's like a ninth or 10th grader with the reps, 
he's got a chance to be a really good player for us. And so you have the that's what's really great about this job is I don't have to share these kids. They're they're all in with with getting better at basketball. And so we have a real opportunity to help these kids grow and get better just by by the fact that we're putting in a lot more reps than everybody else. Now, there's still some really good teams and some schools that do play football that are really tough. Their kids are more physical and they're stronger and they got really good coaches. But we don't run up against too many teams at our level that are quite as skilled as us or maybe don't have quite as high of a basketball IQ as what we do. But that's kind of the, the key. Yeah, no, those things are the great equalizers. You know, you could play a team that's maybe taller, bigger, stronger, but, you know, if you got guys that can handle the ball better, that can pass, that can shoot, mm -hmm. that can think the game, then you're going to give yourself a, a really good chance. Yeah. Um, so just kind of go back to the mindset that you had, um, you know, during your championship run. And, you know, how do you maintain that balance of enjoying the moment of, you know, being in this big game versus, you know, focusing on what you do, focusing on what you have to do to win the game and not getting too caught up in the moment because, you know, state title appearances are not guaranteed, you know, for some of these kids, it may be the only time they get that opportunity in their life. So how do you maintain that, that balance of just trying to enjoy the moment, live in it versus focusing on what you need to do and not getting too caught up in the moment? I'll tell you, it's a fine line. I mean, like a lot of stuff, it's a really fine line. I mean, uh, you know, family helps me. I mean, I, my wife and I have four grandkids. We have three kids of our own and four grandkids, and they're all pretty close. So they follow us. They're at our games. Uh, and that helps maintain perspective. Uh, and just the reality of, of just, getting to, just getting to coach, just getting to do this. Uh, after, you know, I've done it my whole life, but then there was a period in my life where I got out of coaching for about six or seven years. And I didn't know if I was going to get back into coaching. And so to get into a situation like this at, at a, a school that provides me this opportunity to coach basketball, uh, I mean, I, I would say probably the thing that helps the most is gratitude. You know, just being, just being grateful for the opportunity to get to have an influence on these kids, to get to ride this journey with them, with the staff, with the players, with their parents, with the administration, with the school board. And I mean, uh, that really helps perspective and, you know, balance, but it's, it's a fine line. I mean, it really is because uh, it's easy to get really, really caught up in who's next, get as much game film as you can, spend hours upon hours upon hours prepping and getting ready and making sure the kids are ready. And at the same time, being able to, to get it 10,000 feet in the air and get that perspective from up there and just go, wow, this is awesome, man. I'm getting to, I'm getting to roll with these kids and experience this journey of, of uh, do or die games when everything is on the line. I mean, I'm fortunate that I'm 59 years old and I've been through quite a bit, but these 16 year old kids, they don't have that kind of perspective. I mean, they are filling the whole community, like carrying them on their shoulders. So you got to kind of keep some of that, deflect some of that pressure 
And a lot of that is the responsibility of me as the coach. So, uh, you know, part of that comes from uh, just the obligation that I owe my players to try to give them every opportunity to succeed because I know they feel a lot of pressure. So if you can just talk about that time where you were away from coaching, um, you know, and did you miss coaching during that time? And what was your inspiration for getting back into it? Well, when I stepped away, my, both of my parents, uh, my mom was, was having some health issues. She had had a heart attack and, and then my dad was having some health issues and they have, uh, several insurance companies. And so my, my brother and I, my brother had been in the business. So I became a partner with him and we kind of helped stabilize everything uh, with, with a lot of things that my parents had established, which was really a legacy in, in the community and the other community where we had uh, another agency. So some of that was just that stabilizing this, this situation and establishing uh, the, the relationship with my brother that was necessary so that we could go forward with it. And, and at the same time, after about three years of being away, uh, had a friend of mine who actually, I live in Clayton and Texland where I coach is 10 miles away. And he, he asked if I would give his son lessons. I said, sure. So I started going over to Texline at like six in the morning and doing individual lessons. And then the superintendent that was there at the time, his son was an eighth grader or seventh grader. And he asked, can I start giving his son lessons? So I started giving his son lessons. So I just started giving lessons like at six in the morning, which is like five in the morning in New Mexico. And it just kind of springboarded from there. Uh, some things happened at the school and the superintendent was like, hey, uh, can you get, can we get you over here to coach? And I was like, you know, I, I don't know. I'm on the city council in Clayton, which is important. I still am. I'm the mayor pro tem. Uh, owned a business, uh, got kids and grandkids. I didn't know if I would be able to, to squeeze it in and work, working into the, my schedule, but, uh, it just happened. And, you know, my thought is if you're going to do it, it's got to burn like white hot, like you got to be all in. And so it was a matter of being able to say, okay, I can be all in and still wear these other hats. And luckily I've been able to kind of manage that for the most part. And I stay engaged. Like most of my days, I'm really engaged with a lot of stuff. So I feel really blessed to be able to do that and serve in all these different capacities. But the time away gave me perspective and it, and it helped me realize what I don't know. And the more that I've coached, the more I realize I don't know. And so it's just been pretty amazing because it's like I'm hungrier to learn now than I was when I was 30. And uh, I'm grateful for that. I mean, it's just like I'm more motivated to keep and, and, you know, plus just like what we're doing now, you have Zoom, you have Twitter. There's so much information that's out there now that wasn't out there just five years ago or 10 years ago. So if you're really motivated to learn, you can learn all you want to learn and you really don't even have to pay a penny because it, mm -hmm. it's out there. It's all out there. And it's just it's amazing uh, how much there's almost so much information. You got to be careful that you don't get, you know. Well, I'm going to do that. Well, no, I saw that yesterday. We're going to run this. No, we're going to run that. You know, you got to kind of balance it. Yeah, no, I think that's, uh, that's something that's really important for a lot of young coaches because, you know, they, they do the thing where they go to coaching clinics, you know, they right. watch a lot of film and like you want to take everything, but 
you know, you, you can take some stuff, you know, pretty much everything that has been done, pretty much everything's been done already. Right. So, you know, you got to find what works for you and what you like doing best. Um, but yeah, like you said, there's, there's a ton of information out there and, you know, more than just coaching, right. If you want to get good at anything, you can YouTube or, you know, just read articles online, social media, like there's a ton of information out there. Um, so for anybody who follows you on Twitter, you know, one thing that you talk about with your team is, is we run as one. Right. And so I just want you to talk about, you know, what that means to you and, and why that's so important. Well, that kind of summarizes everything. I mean, that's like the umbrella of our whole program. That's like our culture and everything comes under it. You know, we uh, kind of pegged that four or five years ago. And so all of our shirts and every everything that we have that's out there, I mean, pretty much has run as one on it somewhere. And it it, it really has served us well as a program, as a community, uh, you know, across the board, uh, whether it's uh, other sports, these kids go run across country and I'll, I'll send them a text, you know, hey, run is one, you know, because really uh, that's what we're trying to do, which really it promotes a, a sense of being unselfish. And we has got to be before me. And in today's society and culture, and uh, it's a big fight to, you know, to continuously uh, voice that, uh, bring a voice to the locker room of the importance of, again, being a great teammate. Everything that we do culture-wise falls under that, run as one. And again, like I was saying earlier, I mean, just be a great teammate, be a good person, uh, be tough, uh, you know, have a little edge to you, but but be a good person, be resilient, be really resilient. I mean, I, I would say that's really high on our list of priorities in terms of what we're trying to teach our kids. Don't be afraid to fail. Don't be afraid to be bold. Don't be afraid, afraid to uh, take a chance on yourself. I mean, we have kids that have, you know, challenging home lives. There's not a lot of stability. There's not a lot of accountability. And so where they do get that is in our program and in our school. And so it's really important that we have something that is core, like a core value, a staple, an anchor. And that run is one is kind of that anchor. And then from that, uh, you know, things change a little bit, you know, whether our style of play or, you know, maybe a a value of, of some goes up a little bit year to year and one may drop a notch or two, but across the board run is one just, you know, accurately, uh, kind of summarizes what we try to do collectively in our program. And it gives us a sense of identity, I think. And that helps build your your culture. Yeah, no, I love that. I think whenever you can have your culture summarized in one phrase or one sentence, yeah. then makes everything a lot easier to, to remember and just, you know, implement on a day-to-day basis. Um, yeah. But just kind of stepping back to, you know, that time where you first got or got back into coaching, and you started up at TextLine, you know, what was the first thing that you were doing to implement your own culture? And also just kind of talk about what the state of the program was at the time when you took it over and, and, you know, what was the first thing that you were focused on doing in order to turn things around? Uh, Get better. I mean, mainly it was about getting better. And, you know, lucky I came into a situation where I came in where we were we were extremely, I came in in 2014, 2015, and 
the the guy that was the head coach at the time, Brian Braddock, he was the head girls coach. The head boys coach left, and so he he became the head boys coach. And so I came in as an assistant to help him and help our girls coach, who was a newly hired girls coach. I had only been an assistant like two years at the college level, and then I'd been a head coach for like 16 years, and then I got out, and then I came back in that year in 2014, 2015 as an assistant to this really, really uh, talented team. And so I jumped right in and it was, uh, it was really uh, a, a journey because we were so talented. And I mean, we ended up winning the state championship that year. I think we won both games in San Antonio by an average of like 30 points. We probably had the best 1A player in the state uh, at the time and maybe ever. I mean, it's debatable, but he's probably one of the best 1A players that's ever played in the state of Texas. His name's Aaron, Aaron Gutierrez. And he was a 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six kid that could play the point, could play the five. And so we were just really, really talented. And when I became the head coach the year after, uh, well, the superintendent's son was one of the really good players he had left. The coach's son was one of the really good players and he had left. And so we were left with not near as much talent, but we just kept implementing what I believe to be the core. And that was, let's run as one, let's put we over me. And so just establishing those foundational things that I knew would last. And we won 20 games, but, and we got to the playoffs and we win two or three playoff games, but we couldn't get back to the regional tournament. And then we finally got back to the regional tournament three years ago. And then we won uh, the state championship two years ago. And then we were in the state semis. I mean, the state finals last year and got beat by three in the state championship. So it's just been a process. It's been a, it's been a journey. And like I said, I've been really, really fortunate to get into a situation where I can do what I do where I'm at now in Clayton, New Mexico, drive 10 miles to Textile, Texas, and coach in a great environment. Like people are asking me all the time, why don't you move up? Why don't you? I've been at the 5A, 6A level. I've done that. I've been at the college level. This is the purest form of basketball. I mean, I'm getting to coach basketball. I'm getting to teach these kids year-round. How much better is it? I mean, where else could I go? That it's I, I don't have to deal with NIL money. I don't have to deal with the transfer portal. Uh, I just got to take the kids I have in our program and try to make them better. And luckily, we've had some really good players. I mean, we had the 1A player of the year back-to-back. I mean, he was a two-time 1A player of the year. He's playing at Wayland Baptist now at, in Plainview. Uh, that doesn't happen every day. I mean, nothing like nothing would have happened that's happened without having really good players. Bottom line, really good, really good players, good people, and good coaches to help, and good administrators. All of those things factor into it. They really yeah. do. Yeah, and I think it's just important to be where you want to be. Like you know, yeah. you may have opportunities to you know go to higher levels, but you know, if you're happy and you enjoy where you are, then, then that's the best place to be. So, yep. that's exactly. um, you know, you mentioned having, you know, these, these really good players, you know, some of the best players in the 1A level. Um, so when you have a star player like that, how do you keep everybody else engaged? Because, you know, you want, you want everything to kind of go through that, that one guy, that star player, because you know, that's, that's what's best for the team. But 
how do you make sure that everybody else is engaged as well and committed to the the team concept? Well, I think most important, you have to get the star player on board with that. You have to have him understand that he is the thermostat. He sets the temperature in the room. And if he's a me, me, me guy, we're going to struggle. I mean, I don't care how good he is. We're not going to be as good as we should be. And luckily, the individual we're talking about uh, grew up and really became that kind of player and that kind of kid where he was a he was a kid who could have easily scored 35 points, 15 rebounds. He could have really dominated. Because some of the teams we play, just because we're up here in the panhandle and you're kind of in the boonies, there's some 1A schools that aren't, that aren't very good that are in our district. I mean, and, and he could he could go chase stats, and he just wasn't he wasn't a stat chaser. He was all about trying to make other players better, and he was he he was he became a really great teammate. And I think these players now that we have are realizing exactly what Will how valuable Will was, uh, because he had the whole town to text line on his shoulders, and uh, and he was able to manage it. And at the same time, uh, cheer and. You know, we had, I think it was our state semifinal game last year. And I think he had nine points and 14 rebounds or something. And he averaged 23 points a game and he had nine points. And sometimes the star player only gets nine points at a game in the Alamo Dome. Well, there's a lot of people there and it's it's at that level. Might throw a little pout after the game because he's like, I only had nine points. It wasn't like that at all. He was super duper happy for his teammates. So I think it starts with that kid and that player that he understands his role and he understands the importance of him being selfless and understands that, yeah, he has a skill set and he's been blessed physically that he needs to utilize all those strengths to help our team get better. And he can't do it alone. You know, you got to have these other kids. If we're going to win it all, you got to have these other kids and you got to have them playing with confidence and fortunate him and our other player that was a two-time uh, all-state player were both like that they were they were both like that they weren't selfish they weren't me 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 guys and so that helped tremendously so now we'll move into a segment that we have here on this show it's called explain that tweet so uh yeah. read read back one of your tweets and then you just kind of offer a, a, an explanation on it um, okay. So I think this one was a tweet that you replied to. Um, I think the original tweet was describe your coaching style in three words. And then you replied health, humility, and hungry. So just kind of talk about those three words and, you know, how they sum up your, your coaching style. Well, I get asked, you know, it, going into a season, there's, you have this, you know, magazines and whatnot that want to know, what are the keys to you guys being successful this upcoming season? And I think those are the keys. I think one, we got to stay healthy. And unfortunately last night we had a three-year starter go down with a shoulder injury. We were afraid he might've dislocated it, but he didn't, but he's going to be out a couple of weeks, but that's the first injury that we've had of any kind of significance for three years. And so health is paramount and that involves these kids taking some ownership on it too. I was just telling some of our kids riding home last night, get one more hour's sleep, you know, drink one more bottle of water. You may not think it would matter, but if you can do that, just get one more hour's sleep and drink one more 
bottle of water to stay hydrated, and that will help. It uh, doesn't guarantee anything. I mean, we've really started over the last three or four years getting a lot uh, more involved into weights and lifting, and uh, it's become very important primarily for that reason to try to help us stay healthy. Uh, you can't win unless you're humble. I mean, the bottom line is you got to be humble because that means you're willing to be coached. And so uh, that's another important part. And then, you know, you got to stay hungry. I mean, it, you know, it's like I was telling my assistant yesterday, Nick Saban, uh, Mike Krzyzewski, uh, Bill Belichick, these guys that have taken teams to an elite level and kept them there, it's really, it's tough to do. I mean, we played Paladuro, and if you research anything about Paladuro, the guy that coaches there, he's been there 22 years. He's a really good friend of mine. I've known him since he was probably 16 years old, Jeff Evans. And, and Paladuro is a program that's been like that. I mean, you know, sustained greatness. It is tough. You know, you're talking about you got to be consistent with your approach and how you go about doing it and your demands and expectations. Uh, and so I, all three of those are really important toward uh, going into a season. If you can keep all three of those checked, you're probably going to be all right with us anyway, with our, with yeah. our personnel. Yeah. Um, so one fun fact about you is that you coached uh, Dan Campbell, who was That's the Lions right. head coach mm -hmm. uh, when he was in high school. So for all the listeners out there, you know, if you could share any, any good Dan Campbell stories, I think they would really <laughs> appreciate that. I, I don't know if you guys, if you listen to this and you haven't watched Hard Knocks this year, Hard Knocks is great, but I thought it was really great this year because they went to Detroit and they followed yeah. the Detroit Lions and it was awesome. Uh, Dan is just authentic. And, you know, what's, what's, what's amazing about Dan Campbell is his junior year in high school, when I first got to Glen Rose, he came out to play basketball, but this football coach is there and he loves basketball. He was a great basketball player. I mean, 6'5", at that time, he was probably 225, 230. I mean, he could just dunk it any way you wanted. He was super athletic, uh, loved to play, but his coaches didn't want him to play. They talked him out of playing. So he came out for like two days and he's like, coach, I'm not gonna be able to play. I'm getting too much pressure from the football coach as well. Well, we got to move on. Dan, I'm sorry, but we got to move on. I understand. And then the senior year, he was like, the heck with it. I'm playing. And so he came out and played. And uh, we were playing in a playoff game. First time Tex, uh, Glenn Rose had been in a playoff game in 17 years. And do or die game. And he hadn't done much at half. And at halftime, as some guys that we're, I'm friends with now, they're players of mine that I've become really good friends with. They know exactly what I said. I can't remember exactly what I said. I don't know that I can repeat exactly what I said, but I got up in his face and challenged him like I see him doing to his players. And he went out the second half and I mean, played like a beast. But I don't know at that point in his life that he had ever been challenged like right there, like right up in his face. Are you gonna play or are you not gonna play? And he was like, I'm going to show you. And so he did. I mean, he was just a phenomenal talent. But I'll, I'll tell you one more story that's really cool. We had another kid named Michael Keithley who played at Glen Rose, who also played in the NFL. So I had two players that played basketball for me that played in the NFL at a, at a school, a 3A school, had like 800 kids in our high school. 
Well, they retired their jerseys at Glen Rose. And so everybody came back to Glen Rose. They were both playing in the NFL. And then after they did the big retirement deal and or retired the jerseys and all the, I mean, there were like 20 football coaches there and, and I was there and a couple of my basketball assistant coaches were there. And after the, after they had the, uh, the, the Jersey deal, they had a powwow at, I think one of the players houses or one of the coaches. Well, yeah, there was a lot of people there. And I mean, both these guys are NFL guys and I'm not kidding you. I had Dan Campbell on one side of me and Michael Keithley on the other side of me. And all they wanted to talk about was basketball. Their days as a high school basketball player coach. Can you get me some of those films? Can you get me some of those videos? I mean, it was just the coolest thing. And I'll never forget, Dan was playing for the Giants at the time. They had just played in the Super Bowl, and he got traded to the Dallas Cowboys. And my son was there and had on a pair of, like, house shoes or something. And Dan had on a brand-new pair of, like, Nike shocks that were the hot shoes at the time. And he looks over at my son's shoes. He's like, what size shoe do you wear? And Corey, my son's name's Corey, goes, I, I'm like a 12. And Dan's like, that's what I wear. You want these shoes? And Corey's like, yeah, and he just took them off and gave them to him. And Corey gave him his house shoes. And when Dan left, he had on my son's house shoes. And Corey got to keep his shoes. So it was really pretty cool. He's a great guy. He's a great, great guy. And anytime I text him now, I don't bother him much at all. He always gets back with me every single time. Oh, that's great. Yeah, uh, he, yeah I, I was able to watch some hard knocks as well. And, you know, you can definitely tell that he's, he's very passionate about what he does. And, yep. you know, he loves his players. You know, he's a good dude, man. He's a good dude. And I, I think that's one of the biggest reasons why the Lions have, you know, because they've gotten a lot better. You know, they yeah. won a game last week. So, yeah, big game. you know, yeah. I, I think he's, you know, a huge part of that, that turnaround. Well, this has been great. You know, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Um, just want to end it with one last question. You know, we talked about your state title that you won in 2021. Uh, and you guys fell, fell a little bit short this past season. Do you think that that loss has motivated you even more? And, you know, just kind of talk about how sometimes, you know, it's obviously everybody wants to win, but sometimes a loss can be more motivating and can kind of inspire you to, to you know, to push even further. So talk about how this la this past season's championship loss has really motivated you going into this season. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, when we lost, it was heartbreaking. I mean, the way we lost, and we were ranked number one all year. I mean, from the beginning of the season to the last game of the season, we were ranked number one. So there was a lot of pressure on these kids. So when we lost that game, it was devastating to these kids. Uh, and it was a tough, tough loss because there was a lot of expectations. But the team we played was really, really good, like really good. Grayford was good, great, great coaches, uh, tough team. Uh, and just talking to some other coaches the day after and the day after, it's like, you know, the bottom line is there has to be joy in the journey. Like, it can't just be we have to win a state championship or we're all going to be miserable or we're all going to say this was a, a season that was lost or, you know, this was not a successful season. And so it just helped me to really appreciate that, that there has to be joy in the journey. Uh, and it can't just be all about, you know, win it all or win a state championship or maybe your goals are to win a district championship or get to the regional tournament and you may not get there. You can't reflect back, even if it was, you know, you just had a bad game. It can't just be dwell on that. It's got to be, you know, 
a lot of the good things that happened along the way, a lot of the growth that happened along the way, a lot of the impact that happened along the way. And, you know, there has to be joy in the journey uh, or else, you know, really we're not in it for the right reasons. And so just that perspective. And, uh, and, and I think I had it anyway. I didn't need a loss necessarily to remind me of that, but it did make me actually live that a little stronger. But yeah, I mean, uh, it made me feel like I didn't do my job well enough. And like I let our kids down. So it's motivated me to, to uh, try to get better. You know, just keep trying to get better as a coach. Keep trying to help these kids get better. Keep trying to help these kids navigate their way through being 15, 16, 17 years old and what they got to deal with now compared to what I had to deal with. I mean, that's a tough, it's a tough journey for these kids to get, you know, to get through high school and to get to, college and to get into their 20s and and have a good healthy self-esteem uh and some good habits so to me that's that's uh that that's all part of it you know losing losing a big game like that in the heat of the moment uh it just helps you become even more in my my opinion it's helped me to become more motivated to really understand my why why am I coaching? Why am I doing this? Why am I putting in all this time? Why am I doing it? Is it about me or is it really about these kids? And it's got to be about these kids. It can't be about my ego. It can't be about my win-loss record. It can't be about my rings and my state champion. It's got to be about helping these kids become better fathers, be better husbands, be better sons, be better people. And really... That motivates me the most. And I just, you know, we're lucky we have basketball as a platform. We have the basketball as a tool. We have basketball as leverage, right? As coaches, that's a powerful, that's a powerful platform. So there's a lot of responsibility that, that I think we have to utilize that to the best of our ability to help these kids become stand-up guys, you know, stand-up kind of people that, and that's a challenge. Because, you know, kids are, they're going to, they're going to fall short and, you know, they're going to disappoint you and they're going to disappoint themselves. And you, you've got to really uh, help them uh, deal with loss and deal with failure and deal with, deal with things not going their way. And that's the most valuable things about coaching is to me, again, it comes back to that component of grit and resiliency. And it's interesting because Dan Campbell, like they're, their run is one is grit. And so I know that he's on the right track because we all need some of that. We all need some of that. Yeah, no, definitely. I think that's a great lesson for, for all coaches. You know, it's not about yourself. It's not about, you know, wins and losses. It's about, you know, how much of an impact that you can make yep. on your players and, you know, trying to help them become better people. Well, this has been great. I've really enjoyed this conversation and I think everybody out there listening as well will, will really enjoy and be able to learn. So once again, just want to thank you for your time and, and joining the podcast today. Hey, thank you for what you're doing. I appreciate you doing. I appreciate you inviting me on. Thank you. Absolutely, man.